by offering farmers free or subsidized power, uh, India spends 12 to 15 billion US dollars every year. Uh, that bill can be significantly reduced if we solarize agriculture. And therefore, the financial viability of the electricity utilities would also improve. But the last part is very important. We feel that uh, if solar pumps can build new uh, proper incentives for farmers to become energy and water efficient, then introduction of solar pumps can become part of a larger groundwater demand management strategy. That was Shilp Verma, a leading expert on the nexus of food, water, and solar energy. And this is the Power for All podcast, a forum for leaders working to end energy poverty. I'm your host, William Brent. In support of this year's UN Food Systems Summit, our conversation with Shilp is part of a special series we're doing on the critical link between food systems and decentralized renewable energy. Our goal is to shed light on game-changing ideas in Africa and Asia that can help both ensure sustainable energy for all and improve farmers' lives. Welcome, Shilp. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. So your work in India, I've been following it for a while, and the work that you're doing at the International Water Management Institute has resulted in really significant advances, from my perspective, in understanding how to scale solar irrigation and the potential impact of doing so on smallholder farmers. India already has the world's most ambitious solar irrigation scheme, the $50 billion Kusum Initiative. And as part of Kusum, uh, within Kusum is, is a, a program called the Solar Power as a Remunerative Crop or SPARC program. And this is something that IWMI is running with your leadership. And its aim is to reach 2 million farmers by next year. Can you explain briefly the underlying idea behind Spark and, and what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, so just to give you a little bit of a context, there, is, there isn't any other country in the world that pumps as much groundwater every year as India. Uh, and most of the groundwater pumped in India is attributable to the more than 20 million wells and tube wells that we have uh, for irrigation. Now, given the centrality of groundwater to India's large irrigation economy, the water energy food nexus um, is very, very important. And that's that's what we in EMEA have been working on. Uh, there is a part of India where groundwater is depleting very fast uh, and a major contributor to that depletion is the subsidized electricity that the government provides to farmers. Uh, and even though these are water-scarce regions, the subsidized electricity makes water either free or, you know, at very low marginal cost. And that often results in overpumping. Uh, in this context, when we saw that solar pumps are beginning to become popular and even the government uh, is supporting this uh, growth by providing very high capital subsidies to farmers, um, we were a little bit worried. Because from the energy side, solar pumps are great. I mean, you're replacing uh, thermal and coal-based power with, with uh, clean energy, and that's wonderful. But from the water side, uh, one concern we had was that uh, it might lead to even more groundwater pumping because solar pumps also offer zero marginal cost energy. Once the panels have been installed and they start producing energy, there's hardly any running cost. 
uh, and that might worsen these perverse incentives for overpumping and uh, it can have serious impact on groundwater so that's that's the reason why we started working on power uh, on on solar energy uh, we wanted to find uh, small holder friendly and groundwater benign uh, models of promoting solar energy and uh, this particular model spark that you just talked about growing solar energy as a crop uh, this we feel can potentially offer five benefits uh, one is of course it will reduce the carbon footprint of india's groundwater irrigation economy and groundwater pumping contributes about 6 to 8% of india's total emissions uh, it can offer farmers an additional source of income uh, which can also be counter climatic so if for some reason they are able to unable to take a crop Uh, they can still earn some money by selling all the power that they generate through these solar panels it will also reduce india's farm power subsidy burden uh, by offering farmers free or subsidized power uh, india spends 12 to 15 billion us dollars every year uh, just for subsidizing power to farmers uh, that bill can be significantly reduced if we solarize agriculture and therefore the financial viability of the electricity utilities would also improve uh, but the last part is very important we feel that uh, if solar pumps can build new uh, proper incentives for farmers to become energy and water efficient then introduction of solar pumps can become part of a larger groundwater demand management strategy and that is what we've been trying to do so spark is not really part of government of india's kusum it is it is a model that we experimented with uh, in one uh, village in, uh, at a small scale in gujarat uh, it then went on to inspire a, a state level policy and now it is one of the three models although the government does not use this terminology uh, but grid connected solar pumps is one of the three modalities uh, under kusum which the, the target is to cover 2 million farmers And so when you talk about grid connected uh solar uh essentially you've got farmers in the Indian countryside who are uh close to a feeder that's connected to the grid and you're not only uh converting that feeder to solar but also there are standalone solar pumps uh that individual farmers or farmer collectors are using below the feeder is that right so initially solar was largely thought of as replacing diesel or kerosene pumps um and most people thought that uh, electric pump owners would would hesitate to shift to solar uh, especially because even though the prices have come down they are still uh, a significant capital investment but we thought that uh, even for electric pump owners it might be attractive to shift to solar pumps if we do it in a way such that they are still remain connected to the grid and they have this option of supplying their surplus power back to the grid and earning some money out of it so the way it is done is that uh, in gujarat uh, which is a pioneer in this uh, through its program called sky or surya shakti kisan yojana is that in, on any agricultural feeder where more than 70% of the farmers agree to solarize they solarize the entire feeder and then all of those farmers who were using grid power they start generating solar energy on their farms they use that energy to pump but uh, the energy is also evacuated to the grid and then if the net evacuation is positive 
so that means that they use less energy and uh, evacuate more energy then they get paid for the surplus energy that they have evacuated interesting so you said that this is um producing additional income for farmers and i think i read in some of your materials that based on the initial data you've seen about 60 to 65% of energy generated within these solar systems is put back into the grid. So what, what does that mean in terms of additional income? What are we talking about? So right now we have data from the uh, the one village experiment that EMI had started in 2016. Uh, and we've been collecting data in that village for the last uh, three or four years. And in the case of these farmers, uh, although it's a very small sample, we find that about 50% of the income that they are now earning is attributable to these solar pumps. So they're still growing the same crops that they were growing earlier. Uh, but now half of their income is coming from solar in, in two parts. One is from the surplus energy that they evacuate to the grid and they get paid for it. But also they use some of the energy that is generated to provide irrigation service to their neighbors. And that also gives them some income. So roughly about half of their income is now coming. Now, we don't know whether the same ratio will be uh, also true on a larger scale. Uh, but early indications are that this is, not, this is not a trivial income. It is a significant part of the farmer's income, even when now this has been scaled up to more than 4,000 farmers. That's really impressive. Um... So when we first talked a couple of years ago, one of the things that really struck me was the um, impact that your program and others like it are, could have on uh, greenhouse gas emissions reductions. Um, and you mentioned earlier on that I think six to eight percent of emissions in India come from irrigation. Um, and so there's actually a really strong climate mitigation story from the work you're doing. Uh, can you can you talk about that a little bit more? I mean, what are you essentially going to be able to wipe out six to eight percent of India's emissions through this program? Um, I, I think that it would be very ambitious to say that we can wipe out the six to eight percent because the six to eight percent comes from twenty million wells and tubewells, uh, and even after all the efforts that the government has been making in recent years. We've gone from a few thousand solar pumps to now about 250,000 or 300,000 solar pumps. So there's still a long way to go. But um, the total rated capacity of India's irrigation pumps has been estimated to be about 120 to 130 or 40 uh, gigawatt, which is huge. India's very ambitious solar target is 100 gigawatt. So in a way, if all of agriculture was solarized, uh, then that alone uh, could could more than do you know more than help India meet uh, its very ambitious target, but I don't think that will happen overnight. That will that will happen over time. Uh, but yes, we are heading in that direction. So I mean, if you had to um, you know sort of forecast out into the future, I know that can be dangerous. But if you know we're talking about twenty thirty goals for the SDGs, I mean, do you think that there's a do you think half of that 6 to 8% could be mitigated uh, within that 10-year period that we're looking at? Or uh, could you, can you even make a guess? Yeah, I think that uh, if Kusum, if the government of India's Kusum initiative goes as planned uh, and it, it, is, it receives the kind of enthusiastic response that the government is expecting from farmers, then yes, that, is, that would be realistic. But uh, there are a lot of lot of uh, variables here. Uh, 
right now, most farmers don't even know about solar pumps. It's still early days. Uh, the prices of solar technology are changing every day. Um, we don't know how long the government will be able to offer these high capital subsidies. Eventually, the government would also want to reduce those subsidies and uh, let the market take over. And that will only happen if the technology keeps improving. Uh, the efficiency of panels is increasingly improving very fast. And, the, and at the same time, the unit prices are coming down. The government is also now trying to uh, encourage more local production. Our local production is not very high. Uh, so a lot of the solar panels, the so cells are still imported and then locally assembled. I think if we start producing the cells also locally, uh, and that also helps in further reduction of the cost, then yes, it, it might happen. Hmm. You mentioned a couple of things that I want to circle back on. I think that, that for me anyway, looking at this program, Kusum as a whole, you know, I think I see two Achilles heels, and I think you probably would agree with this. Number one is the subsidy issue, right? So is that is that distorting the market? or spoiling the market for future, uh, sort of a future market mechanism to actually, uh, hmm. you know, deploy solar irrigation. And then the, the first issue that you mentioned at the beginning about why you and IWMI got into this was around uh, groundwater overuse or misuse. And so, you know, over the period of time of your program, do you feel like those two problems have been resolved yet? Or what's needed to, if they haven't been resolved, what's needed to resolve them? So on the subsidy issue, you're absolutely right. I think this is a real danger that if if we keep offering very high capital subsidies, then uh, it distorts the market and it it also sends somewhat distorted signals. Uh, but right now that problem remains. I think that 95% of the solar pumps on the ground are there thanks to the subsidy. And maybe if the subsidy was removed overnight, then... Uh, uh, the growth in solar pumps might might significantly change. But on the positive side, I think that uh, the kind of saving that the government can make in farm power subsidies can itself uh, finance solarization. So if, if indeed uh, increasing solar pumps can mean reduction in the other subsidy that the government has to give, uh, then it might not be such a big issue. On the groundwater issue, I think that um, maybe merely just handing out solar pumps is not going to solve the problem. Uh, the, the implementation of SPARC is, requires a lot of engagement with farmers. And it remains to be seen uh, whether the government and the electricity utilities and even the solar developers, the private sector, to what extent they will be able to do that um, on a large scale. Um, there, it is a big problem, the groundwater depletion problem, and it is one on which the government is very serious. Uh, there are also other programs uh, which are focusing on uh, improving groundwater management and groundwater governance. But most programs, uh, what usually tends to work is supply augmentation. So if there are programs of increasing groundwater recharge, then usually farmers are enthusiastically Participating, participating in them. But uh, it's this demand management which has been tricky. It has been done on small scale in many places, but uh, there have been struggles in scaling it up. Um, and uh, managing groundwater demand is 
very very tricky not only in india but all, almost around the world uh, you need to have clearly defined water rights which we can't have because each farmer is very small and there are millions of them so enforcing water rights would be very very costly and very very difficult uh, it could be achieved by imposing a true marginal cost or economic cost of water but that's also very difficult because of the political economy around farm power subsidies so we are hopeful that spark can basically introduce um kind of a toehold uh, for for uh, government to make it part of a larger groundwater demand management strategy but whether that will happen on scale is still uh, difficult to say so the idea is that if you could scale a program like spark where you've got you know the feeder solarized and you've got more centralized control over a uh you know a group of smaller farmers that becomes then easier to manage groundwater use is that is that what you the the idea there uh it's it's still very difficult to control uh or in a in a top down manner mm-hmm. because uh, uh one thing that the farmers have abundance of is political power uh we still i mean out of our huge population still more than half depends on agriculture uh and it's very difficult to do anything in agriculture uh without uh, them being enthusiastically participating in it uh but the expectation is that it offers the right kind of incentive so far what has happened is that uh people have been going and lecturing farmers on conservation of groundwater but at the same time the policy has been giving the opposite signal that here's free power pump as much as you want or here's subsidized power and you can pump as much groundwater as you want uh with spark we are hoping that the policy environment and the efforts of the civil society organizations will be much more aligned uh because now for the first time it will be also in the farmers direct economic interest to become efficient uh, energy users and also therefore efficient water users uh but this is still this is still in theory right and we have seen this happening to some extent in our small experiment but emi uh, is now working we have two projects right now one is with giz uh, where we are supporting the government of india in rollout of kusum uh, and another project with sdc uh, which is actually a regional project at the south asia level where we are trying to better understand what would be the implication of large scale solarization on groundwater and what is the best way forward of making sure that solarization is not only groundwater benign but also socially equitable. Yeah. You've already talked about, you know, the fact that Spark is looking to expand to reach 2 million farmers by next year. What are the plans outside of in- well, so I have two questions. One is within India, um is there any consideration around trying to integrate uh solar powered processing or solar powered uh cold storage alongside of the irrigation um solarized irrigation that's number 1 and then number 2 outside of india or do you have plans to expand into south asia or africa where you know solar irrigation also has a huge potential yes actually there are a lot of field experiments going on on uh, other productive uses non irrigation productive uses of solar power uh in many parts of india uh the rural grids are in very bad uh, bad condition and there uh just wasting the energy that the panels would would be generating throughout the year uh would would just not make sense so the government also is now 
seriously considering something called a USPC or a universal solar pump uh, uh, device which will allow farmers to use the energy also for other uses. So that's happening and I, I hope that that will help uh, make more efficient use of, of these investments. Outside India, in, in, in most countries in South Asia, there is a lot of interest uh, to learn more about grid-connected solar. Uh, in our uh, project with STC, we are working in Pakistan, Nepal and Bangladesh. Uh, and in each of them, uh, there is a lot of interest to see what has been India's experience with grid-connected solar. And I think in Bangladesh and Nepal, in both places, there already is advanced discussion on piloting it uh, in, in those countries also. Um, but I, I, I think like everywhere, even, even in India, there is a significant off-grid component of solar. And that is mostly in eastern India and central tribal India where grid connectivity is relatively poorer uh, or where even when the grid exists, it's mostly for uh, connecting households and meeting household demand, not so much for agriculture demand. And there, I think off-grid solar will also uh, take off in a big way. Uh, and that's where things like USPC might help in making sure that uh, the surplus energy available in these panels can be used for other purposes. Shok, this is fascinating. I mean, I, I, you know, it's been so fun and interesting to follow your work over the years, and I'm really excited to see where Spark goes from here. And I just want to, you know, congratulate you for the amazing work that you and your team are doing. If people want to learn more about the Spark program and other stuff that's happening in India, where where would they find that information? So actually, one of the things that we are doing uh, as part of the project with GIZ is we are trying to bring all this knowledge together. I'm glad you asked this because there is a lot of information on solar, uh, but it's scattered. Uh, and we are trying to work in partnership with the India Water Portal, uh, which already brings together a lot of the water knowledge in India uh, to develop a section of the water portal, which will focus on solar irrigation. This is something that has just started, uh, but we hope to launch it soon. And then hopefully that can become a starting point. Uh, or as, as a corpus of all the knowledge. Uh, but for the moment, I can say that uh, I would welcome if any of the listeners uh, would want to engage with us, I'd be happy to tell them more about our work and also what's happening on the solar front in India. There's also a lot of work that uh, EMI is doing on the solar front in Africa. Uh, EMI has offices in Southern Africa, East Africa, West Africa, and also in the MENA region. And that's another region where there's a lot of activity on the solar front. Uh, EMI has done a solar suitability mapping. EMI is working with GIZ and with other, several other partners uh, to look at the opportunities for solarization in Africa. And within EMI, we are now trying to see how we can better work together to uh, promote more South-South learning. What can South Asia learn from the experiences in Africa and the other way around? And we hope that we can do more of this in the future. Great. Shilp, well, Powerfall is ready to, to help you uh, do that. That's one of our focuses uh, this year and ongoing is to really try and make sure that the, this, this amazing work that you're doing is um, fully understood and that people aren't reinventing the wheel in other uh, regions. So again, thanks so much for joining us and we'll, uh, we'll be following you with great interest. Thanks, Will. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks everyone for listening. 
A reminder that you can find a wealth of sector news, analysis, and data on our website, powerforall.org, and our platform for energy access knowledge, which we call PEAK, P-E-A-K. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter and other updates. And if you feel like making a tax-deductible contribution to Power for All, you can do so from our homepage. Speak with you soon on the next episode of Power for All.